asked me, she's like, what have you been learning? And I'm like sending her pictures of notes, but like... You could just send her the yeah. link. <laughs> That's great. Make sure to ask questions so then your grandma can hear you. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Thanks. grandma. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so, so yesterday we discussed the idea of rest and what that really means. And we discussed that it's the idea of the culmination of all of the culmination and then the elevation of all of the work that's preceded that rest, right? And we see that plays out on Shabbat. And we're going to see that that actually played out in the story of Noah and the flood. So we're going to start today's class with asking... Uh, with elaborating on the idea of rest inside, what we spoke about outside, we're going to see inside the, the, the words today, inside the mimer. And then on page eight, we're going to ask a question and connect these ideas of rest and the ideas of the many waters that we've been discussing, bring it all together with the story of Noah. And we're going to ask the question, which is, why did God specifically destroy the world in the time of Noah with a flood? He could have done many other things. He had many options. And he specifically chose this way. Why is that? And as well, oh, thank you. And also, why, why is Noah, right, his name represents peace. And we saw, if you want to say that. Yeah, I was like, where did all the chairs go? There's and, more over there. More oh, they're stacked over there. And um, we said, we brought a verse from Isaiah, from Isaiah, where he quotes the flood by calling it Noah, the waters of Noah. So this flood is called also the waters of peace. And how can we call a flood that destroyed the world waters of peace, waters of rest? So that's what we're going to be touching on today. So everybody turn to page 23, top of page 7. We're going to read inside now a little bit about what we discussed yesterday outside about rest. So now we're bringing the source for this idea that the word Noach, the name Noach, is actually associated with the name Shabbat, which is rest. So Ukmosha Katov, right at the beginning in the Hebrew or in the English on the right side of page 23, Ukmosha Katov, as is written in Genesis, Vayishbot Bayom Hashvi'i, and he, referring to God, and God rested on the seventh day. Day. This is the source for Shabbat, this verse. We quote it in the Kiddush when we bless the Shabbat and sanctify it every week. And the Aramaic translation brought for this verse, the Targuma, and its translation in Aramaic is, which means, and he rested on the seventh day. And what word is used to translate Vayishbot? Nach. Nach means rest. Noach, Noah's name means rest. And the fact that it writes in the opening verse of Pasha's Noach, it says Noach twice. It says, does anyone remember the verse by heart? I'm not remembering how it starts. Something that Noach was a righteous man. Eile told us Noach. Okay, Eile told us Noach. It starts off the whole Parsha of Noach starts off. These are the descendants of Noach. And then it says Noach ish tzaddik. Noach was a righteous man. So if you look at it without any vowels, Eilet told us Noach, Noach ish tzaddik. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. It says Noach twice in the verse, one after the other. And the deeper meaning of this idea, if we see Noach as meaning and signifying rest, is that there's actually two types and two levels of rest. There's what's called the lower level of rest and the higher level of rest. The lower level of rest is the idea that you work, you don't completely finish all of the work that you ever have to do in your life, but you finish something and then you rest from it. Like we complete a f- full week of work and then we rest from that week on Shabbat. And then Sunday, we start again. Shabbat doesn't last forever. Sunday, it's like back to work, right? In Israel especially. Sunday is straight back to work. 
Um, however, this is, not, this is considered the lower level of rest because that rest, there's an end to it, right? The moment that the clock ticks a certain time, every Shabbat Saturday evening, that's it. Shabbat left for the, Shabbat left for the week and we go back to work. So the, the rest from the work is not permanent. It's a temporary rest. Then there's the idea, the second level of rest, that's represented by the second Noah in the verse, that's considered the level of eternal rest. When are we going to have what's called a Shabbat that lasts forever, an eternal Shabbat, an eternal state of rest, when Mashiach comes. When we have fully completed our mission, a collective mission on this earth, Mashiach is going to come, and that is going to be the culmination and elevation of the thousands of years of exile that we've been present in. We're going to be all lifted up to a new level of rest, which is called Mashiach, which is referred to in the Torah as the higher level of Shabbat, as a, it's called Yom Shekulo Shabbat, a day that is entirely Shabbat, a time period of Mashiach, of redemption, that is entirely Shabbat. So there are these two levels of rest. We're going to get back to these two levels later on in the Mimer, but now it just introduces this idea inside. So, the fact that the verse says Noach, Noach twice, these are the descendants of Noach, Noach was a righteous man. These are, um, I think this, this is a, Zohar, a Zoharic idea from the Zohar, which is that there is a higher level of rest and a lower level of rest. And that's, it's quoted in Aramaic because the Zohar is, oh, here it's Bereshit Rabbah. Oh, Bereshit Rabbah, which is actually the Medrash. A higher level of rest, a lower level of rest. Page top of page eight. This is the aspect, Shabbat Tata, of the lower level of Shabbat, which is the Shabbat that we experience every single week. The reason it's considered a lower level is because it ends, right? So it's not a complete ultimate rest because there's an end to it. The Shabbat Ayla'a, and then we have the higher level of Shabbat, La'atid, which we will experience in the future. Because the time of the redemption is called a day, good morning, that is entirely Shabbat. Which is not the case, with the lower level of Shabbat, it's not considered a day that's entirely Shabbat. It's not considered a, t- a time period that's entirely Shabbat because it has an end, a definitive end every single week. As is going to be explained later in the mind. We're going to get back to this idea of the relevance of a lower level of rest and a higher level of rest and what that actually um, means for us in our personal lives. So we'll put a pin in that. We'll put that aside. But now that we've understood that the waters of Noah, that Noah represents rest, we are left with a question. How could you call the flood that destroyed the entire world waters of rest, waters of peace? Okay. And we're going to ask it in a general way. Kihine, now we're asking a question. Hey, Jane, in the middle. In the English, is, let's look into the following. So, Kihine, we need to understand. Lichora, seemingly, eno muvan inyan hamabal. This whole idea of the mabal. The mabal means the flood. The flood that destroyed the world is not understood. Eno muvan, it's not understood. She'im hayarak, if the purpose of the flood was only to destroy and to get rid of all of the sinning people who lived in that time. Why was it necessary to make such a huge noise and balagan, right? It was not possible for God in one moment 
It's in God's ability to just make them disappear even without a flood. So this idea of the fact that God just decided, if God wanted to punish the sinning people of the time of Noah, which is described in Genesis, in Parshas Noah, the depth to which society had fallen. It was a really, really depraved society to the point, actually, that not only were the people, so to speak, sinning, negating the existence of God, and not acting in a way that actually respected the integrity of their fellow human being as well. The animals became corrupted as well. The vegetation and the very earth became corrupted, and even some of the angels, it's brought down. The world as a whole became corrupted to the point, basically, of no return. But if God wanted to punish the people, right, who were the main stir-uppers of these issues, then why didn't he just make them disappear? We know... um, there were the 10 plagues. You guys familiar with the 10 plagues that God brought upon the Egyptians? The 10th plague was what was called the death of the firstborn. Every single firstborn child of the Egyptians, the Egyptians were a huge nation, in one moment at the strike of midnight, died. Just ceased to be living. There wasn't thunder. There wasn't lightning. There wasn't fire. They just lost their lives. God, it, God has the ability to make people just disappear right god is the one who's bringing us constantly into being and if he doesn't want us to exist anymore he could make us just not exist so why did god specifically destroy not only the people but the entire world with a flood right get the question like it it was you know with a flood that literally rose up to cover the highest mountain so imagine like mount everest being covered by a flood imagine how much water had to come down into the world to completely completely submerse everything so that's the question we have to deal with. What was the purpose of the flood? And what, once we have, can understand that, we can understand what was the upside of the flood. And then we can understand the flood in our own lives, which we described as the many challenges that we can feel like we're drowning in. What's the upside of that as well? What's the purpose and what's the upside? Okay. So we're going to start by answering. Any questions or comments so far? We're good? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that earth was corrupt, including the animals. So I wanted to ask about the animals specifically that Noah brought on the ark, if you have time. Mm. That's a good question. Were they not corrupt? Right. I don't know if he went to find specifically non-corrupt ones, or if he just... I don't, I don't think so. I think he just took a very specific amount of each one. But I don't, they weren't corrupt once, but they were, the, corrupt, the corruption that was happening with the animals was that they were mating one, like, into species, basically, which is not normal. And so they had completely lost even their own nature. And that, that did not occur on the, on the ark. So either he chose specifically righteous animals, or once they were on the ark, they were actually corrupt. I'm not sure. Yeah. How does, like, I guess, we talked a lot yesterday about the animal soul and the godly soul. How does that concept of the two souls fit into like a non-human body, or is there not like that concept? No, there's no. no uh, an animal doesn't have a godly soul. So it only has an animal soul. Yes. So then, how I guess could like, what would be God's intention of killing all these animals if they don't? If he, like, I don't know how that's, to like yeah, describe it. Yeah, that's a, a very like, valid question. A, an animal can't sin, right? When an animal kills another animal, it's just doing what God wants it to do. It's it's just behaving according to its nature. It's even brought that the plants were sinning, that the, the, the plant life was actually also like spreading seed to each other in ways that just wasn't normal either at the time. Um, so 
that's a very good question. So I'm going to actually take you guys a step back to what, like, Kabbalistically, a little bit behind the scenes was going on at the time of the flood, because I think that's a very good question. Why did, the, why did everything have to be punished? Again, it's back to the question, why didn't God just, like, with the death of the firstborn, make all of the corrupt people just die, right? Die out, cease to be, whatever it was. Why destroy the entire world? So the, uh, the answer is going to come, we're going to come to it soon, but let me just give you a, a moment of background on this idea. What does it mean that the entire world became corrupt? What does that mean that something becomes so corrupt that God has to like basically scratch it out and start from, start from the beginning almost? And so there, there's the idea that there are three categories that we learn about. It's taught in Tanya and that's taught in Hasidus about the physicality that we're surrounded with. The, the one category is called Kadusha, Kadosh. You guys heard of the idea of Kadosh? Kadosh actually means separate. That which is separate from the mundane and has been elevated to something holy. So it can be, a, you know, you can take a, you guys familiar with the lulav and the etrog that we shake on Sukkot? So we take a lemon, basically, citrus fruit, and we make a mitzvah and we say blessing on it. So that's just a lemon that's chilling on the tree, but the moment you pick it and you set it aside for this mitzvah, that lemon's status becomes one of kedusha, becomes holy, okay? Um, you can take leather of an animal and turn it into tefillin, and suddenly the leather of the animal becomes holy. You're not allowed to take it into the bathroom. The status literally changes. So that's one status of physical objects, okay? Then there's what's called the middle ground. It's something that's called klipat noga, okay? Noga is a certain element of godly light that is concealed, Kedusha is more of a revealed presence of God that's invested itself into the physicality. Klipat Noga is the idea of basically just, have you guys heard the term parav when it comes to kosher? There's meat, yeah. there's muk, and there's parav. It's, it's, like, it's neutral. So it's like the parav of the physicality around us. That which has not yet been sanctified for holiness, but it also hasn't been brought down into something that negates God's presence or that negates God's commandments. It's just a neutral physical thing in front, like, you know, cup, the water bottle, whatever it is, your clothes, whatever, whatever it is. Um, that neutral object um, however, the moment you start to interact with it, does no longer remains neutral. Either it goes to that side of holiness because you're utilizing it for the desires of God, or it goes to the side of the third level, which is called, called the three impure klipot. Gimel klipot hatmeot, the three impure klipot. And this is the idea that physicality can actually be drawn down into such... And, and be covered over by so many layers of concealment of God that it becomes trapped in what's called the other side, in the forces that actually claim that God does not exist. Yeah. What is the part of it? The third level? Yeah. Gimel klipot I'm happy to write it on the board. The three, uh, they're called the three impure klipot. Klipot means a shell, okay? Literally a shell, like the... You probably I'll erase this. Do, yeah. do, do. And I'll, you'll see why this is important in a moment to answer your question. Yes, please. I'd like to erase that. Oh, amazing. Here. been elevated for the purpose of serving God. Like a Torah Torah scroll, right? Things that are clearly holy and we don't take them into the bathroom and we take you know special care of them and we keep them separate from everything else. Then we have what's called Klipat Noga. Can you spell it in English too? Please? Oh sure. Would a Sidorbi under the first category as well? 
Yes. Exactly. Even though it comes from a tree and a tree is just neutral, right? Or the right. ink comes from wherever, it's neutral. Once it merges together and becomes this functional object to pray to God, it becomes holy. Then we have Klipat Noga. Let's write it in English as well. Klipat Noga. Kalipa, also in modern Hebrew, so you'll learn a Hebrew word, is a shell or a cover. So the peel of an orange, for example, or of a banana is called the klipa. It's that which covers over the fruit or the nut or whatever is found inside. And the idea of why it's called a peel, and noga is, is a specific Kabbalistic type of light, okay, of godly light. And it's the idea that this, this godly light called noga becomes invested in the klipa, covered over. And the idea is that this klipa is covering over the, re the revelation of God, okay? So it's taking a physical object and covering over the fact that this is made and being brought into being every single moment by God, which is the truth. But it's neutral, okay? So this is neutral, which means that you can take a tree and you can pray to it and say it's a God, which people did, right, in the past, and maybe they still do, I don't know. And that turns the tree into what's called Gimel Klippatat Smeot, which we'll write in a second. Or you could take the tree, make pages for a Sidor, and it's Kedusha Atoni. So that's the neutral aspect, when almost everything that we ever encounter falls into this aspect. Then we have what's called the Gimel. Gimel means three. Klippot, peels, shells, coverings. Hatmeot. Right? Gimel Yeah, I think so. Hatmeot means impure. That which is impure. That which has, so to speak, become corrupt. And we'll speak about what that means in a second. So this we're going to call, we're not going to call it bad, but we're going to call it corrupt. Okay, and let me just write that in English. The three unholy clipot. And the idea of these three unholy clipot is that they've become tied down. Okay, have you guys heard of the term asur? Asur, also in modern Hebrew, means it's not allowed. But it also means, comes from the word, that it's tied. Something that's tied together. And the idea is that once a neutral object becomes tied down into these three unholy clipot, it becomes, we're not allowed to touch it. So for example, non-kosher food would fall into the category of three unholy clipot. Even though it's food and food is neutral, if you take neutral meat and neutral milk, for example, both of them are kosher, and you mix them together, suddenly it becomes what's called three unholy clipot. And even if you have all the most beautiful intentions of the world of serving God with the energy that you get from that food, you can't, you're not able to truly elevate it in that moment. Retroactively, if you do teshuva, you are able to elevate it, but in the moment, we don't have the power to touch this third level. So when we say that something becomes corrupt, we mean that it's something that's no longer in our ability to elevate and to use as a tool to serve God. Yes. So in terms of like kosher food, like holy would be like like cut out, like separate like milk or meat, and then neutral would be like something that's part of, and then corrupt would be like milk and meat together. So um, the so milk like, and the meat. Analogy, yeah, so so I would I would I would correct that for a moment. The milk and yeah. the meat would be considered klipat noga. It's neutral, even if it's kosher. Okay. It's neutral. Gotcha. Okay, and then if you have an intention to use that if you eat that food on Shabbat to mm -hmm. get pleasure on Shabbat or if you have an intention that you're going to use that energy that you ate that food with to learn Torah to serve God or to do take care of your fellow then that gets elevated to the holiness but if you take that neutral meat and that neutral milk you mix it together then it becomes so the, actually the meat and the milk stays neutral and depends what you do with it okay um, 
So when we say that something become corrupt, we mean that it's no longer again in our ability to utilize as a tool for serving God. What ended up happening in the time in the generation of the flood? This was a, this was a progression through bless you, through the generations. Adam was fully righteous, and then his descendants, his grandchildren. Noah was ten, ten generations from Adam. They were very long generations. People lived a very, very long time during that period. But as the generations went down, people started becoming more more corrupt, which meant that they stopped utilizing the world around them as tools for serving God. They stopped utilizing their own bodies and their own minds and hearts for serving God. They started to serve other things and give, you know, started to serve the sun and the moon and the stars, first with good intentions, which then led to bad intentions, and to the point that the entire earth had become so covered over by what we call the three unholy clipot that it became corrupt to the point that it was no longer able to be utilized. Even the plants, the vegetation, the rocks, the animals, the birds. Um, I think there's an idea that the fish did not become corrupt because they were able to survive in the water. I think I remember learning something about that because fish are like, I think I remember learning something, but don't quote me on that. This is on recording though, so anyway. Um, but the animals as well became tied down, which meant that the world was no longer able to be used as a tool to serve God. And so that is why God said we're, we're starting again. We're getting rid of the animals as well and the vegetation everything. We're going to save some animals and some people so we can continue, but the rest is going to have to go. Yeah. But if the plants and the animals don't really have free will, that means that this correct energy didn't come from them. It came from either the people or something completely above So it started with the people, but it was such an extreme level of corruption that it actually infiltrated, even though an animal can't sin usually, so, even though angels usually don't even sin. Angels right. don't sin. So it's because of the people. They the brought people that brought that energy about to such an extreme degree that even the angels, it says that there were angels, there are different levels of angels, but the lowest level of angels ended up coming down into this world and having, and like literally um, ha having intimacy with people and that's where all of the giants come from. There was one giant that ended up holding onto the back of the, um, of the ark. There, there, were, there were giants in the time and they were called the Nephilim because of, Nephilim comes from the word Nophel because of these, the fallen angels, the angels that had fallen and become corrupt as well. So. Everything starts off with the people, but the people became so corrupt to the degree and the point that an extreme thing happened, which does not usually happen, that the animals, vegetation, and even angels became corrupt as well. So that's why God had to say we're starting from the beginning. But there's many ways to start from the beginning, right? God could do anything. Why specifically to decide, decide to start from the beginning with water, with a flood? Okay? Um, would you say that that answers your question? Yeah. Yeah? Why did the animals have to, have to be punished as well? Um, and, you know, the story that every species of animal was actually brought onto the ark, just enough for them to be able to survive. Seven um, pairs of kosher animals, because they would also have to be used for sacrifices, so there needed to be more of them. And um, one, two, one pair, one pair of two of every other species of animals. Okay, so now we're going to get to the answer, to the beginning of the answer of why did God specifically have to destroy the world using a flood? Ach, and why did God have to destroy the world in the first place? Ach, Bemet, the truth is, Haya Hamabel Ba Letaher Etaaretz. The purpose of the flood, and specifically of destroying the, the world with water, was in order to purify the land. And literally, not only the people, it says it uses the term Haaretz, the earth, because the entire world needed this purification. Shenemar, as it's written in Parshas Noach, 
because the earth had become filled with corruption. And Rashi, who is the basic commentary on the Chumash, on the story of Genesis, he comes and explains that what does it mean the earth became filled with corruption? That the earth itself literally had become corrupt as well. The entire natural world became corrupt as well. When it's kalkala ma'od, it became very, very corrupt. Very soiled. Yeah. Um, the the tahir, like, is, is that, I mean, obviously, like, all these words are important. Um, but I'm just thinking about the fact that that word is so often used in, like, the, like, purification of like humans too yeah and so does that is that notable that it's yes. or could it be some other word like it's specifically this word okay it's the idea of purifying which means we're washing away the we're washing away the status of the three unholy clipot and we're bringing you back to a neutral state which happens with people as well specifically with water are you guys familiar with the idea of the mikvah mm-hmm. men and women go to mikvah women specifically and it literally the the process of immersing yourself in water, it's a spiritual process, it has nothing to do with being clean or unclean and like cleaning your, your skin, you have to be completely clean before going in. But that process of being fully immersed in water, it's a spiritual process that washes away this status of being unholy, so to speak, in whatever status that falls into, whatever category or reason someone's going to the mikveh is for, and getting you back to a neutral state. And then you can decide what to do with your body, with your mind, and with your actions. Yeah. Um, a little off topic, but actually not really. Um, sorry, I heard that the water was like boiling hot. I was just gonna. <laughs> that's like true. Yeah. And yeah. like, was there a reason for that, or is it because like, <laughs> cleanse like the whole thing? There probably was a reason, but I'm I'm don't. It's not brought in this <laughs> there. And other Hasidic ideas I've learned about it. I don't remember learning about that idea. It's not brought in the simple story, but the commentators do add that the water was boiling hot. It's in yeah, the it's in the it's in the midrash says. Yeah, so it's it's a midrash. So the plain simple text just says it was water, but then it it, it elaborates that the water is actually. We know that there's water beneath us, right? All of the waters from beneath us came up and all the waters from the heavens came down at the same time. And I think it was the waters that came from below that were boiling hot. Um, even though I don't think, uh, I, I think naturally, you know, like geysers and stuff, the water is mm-hmm. well, we have, like, boiling water hot. Volcanoes, so. Do we really? I did not know that. <laughs> we have, that's okay. really also how like, volcanoes even come is the shifting of tectonic plates. And then they rise up. They rise mm-hmm. up. The biggest platoon wow. is like actually like underwater. There's literally lava underwater. Like that's how like I that's how like islands form like the Hawaiian islands like the reason why they have volcanoes is because there were these volcanoes under like you know the like they they, like the land pushes and then it's in the water and then like it cools and it keeps growing up and then you have an island. That's very cool. Okay, I did not know that. So I just know that people go to hot springs. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like the water comes from below and it's hot. So that's why. There we go. It's close to volcanoes. Very cool. Generally, and like the closer you get to the volcano. Oh yeah, like at least the hot spring. Yeah, because it's like the water by the volcanoes, like warm here in Jerusalem. That's right. Okay, that's awesome. So this is going to give us a bit of preparation for that idea. It's very the hot springs. Okay, so so in regards to your question, mine was.
What's your name again? Remind me. Talia. Talia. In regards to your question, it's a medrash. It's a commentary on the basic story. It's possible that there's a deeper connection, but I'm not sure what that is. We're speaking more about the general status of water. Water, and you're going to be going on mikvah talk today, which is real. Like that's amazing. Um, and maybe you'll learn a little bit more about water today on your tour as well. Water has a spiritual status of 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 what's called spiritual cleansing, okay? And so the process of God specifically destroying the world through water was actually a process of covering the world in water so that it can be purified and that it can go back to its neutral state and be utilized thereafter as a tool to serve God. I'm just like, I guess maybe, I don't know if it's like a devil's advocate question, but like, like, isn't like fire also seen as like a purification like method in a way? Like, I guess like, um, I'm trying to think of an example where fire is used as a purification method. It's used with sacrifices to burn the right. sacrifice, sometimes completely and sometimes not. Obviously, it's not used with people because no, that... No, no. <laughs> um, fire is considered the most spiritual of all the elements, of the four elements right. that we have, fire, water, air, and earth. Um, but from what I'm, in the context of just what's coming to mind right now, I, it's not specifically associated with pur- purification. From, from what's come to mind, but that's more the category of water. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, fire has other sources, like the fact that we light a candle on uh, when Shabbat ends, right? Um, that we light the candles before Shabbat comes in. It's not necessarily purification. It's a bit of a different thing going on. Okay. okay. Thank God, because it would not be fun to have to... You know, there were pagan cults that did see fire as purification and unfortunately passed people through them. But we are, thank God, not one of not one of those. <laughs> Stick with water. You have to be in the water for one second. Make sure everything's immersed and you can come right back out. And that's basically what happened with the flood. That the God waited 40 days. And the halachic, you might learn this today when you go to the mikvah, the halachic um, measurement that's necessary in order for something, a body of water to be a mikvah, there's other things as well, but the measurement required is 40 se'ah. Se'ah is a biblical measurement, and um, there needs to be 40 of it in order for it to be, so if you just go into the bathtub and fill it up, well, there's there's problems with that as well, but it need, <laughs> for, for a woman's mikvah, a, a DIY. <laughs> so so women's mikvah and men's mikvah, um, the woman's mikvah needs to have a lot more like the water needs to come from specific places but for a man he can jump into a swimming pool that's fine um, but if he just fills up the bathtub it's just not enough water there needs to be 40 say of water so and so this idea was that the 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 flood lasted for 40 days right and it's the idea that it was enough time for the highest highest mountain peak to be covered in water everything became totally immersed in water because when we're totally immersed in water, as you might be, again be learning today, one of the ideas is that we're returning to that fetal state before we're born, where we're uncorrupted completely, where we're pure, where we're immersed in water, and then we're reborn into the world. And that's every time that a woman goes to the mikvah, a man goes to the mikvah, there's this process happening of rebirth. The water has that power, but it needs to be completely immersing us. And that's what happened to the entire world. God said, we are starting, so to speak, from the beginning. But as we're going to see, it wasn't just starting from the beginning, but it was actually purifying. It was taking the world to the next step, to the next level, preparing the world already, elevating it through this process of purification, which happened to be also of destruction, and many, many things had to, had to die off in order for this to happen. But the world was raised up to a new level, because as we see, Noah got the seven Noahide laws. I don't know if you're familiar with the seven Noahide laws. When they left, it was the world 
coming up and elevating itself to a new level, preparing the world for us, for the Jewish people to become a people, for the Jewish people to get the Torah and for the world to be run by a certain moral code, right? And the ability for people and the whole world to be raised up to a godly level. So this is the basic answer to why it was a flood specifically, because it was a purification process that God wanted to do. God wasn't there to punish the people, but rather to purify them. Yeah. So, like, you know how, like, okay, you said the flood the world would raise up, like, after, brings up to a new level, like, more holier, I guess, right? The, it, uh, it, yeah, it allowed it to become more holy. Okay. Because so it had been kind of purified, yeah. Okay. So then, like, but, like, Noah, he had this, like, down middle mm, life yeah. after. Yeah. So, like, how does... So, free choice has never been taken away. Okay. But the ability to use the world around us, again, as tools to serve God and connect with him, became much more available after the flood. And we know that one of the first things that Noah did when he left the ark was to build a, a mizbeach, which is also called, I think, an ark. No, how do you say mizbeach in English? An altar. It was to build an altar and sacrifice animals as a thanksgiving to God which is taking the physical world around you and already acknowledging you know, God's presence and thanking God. So man's free choice was never taken away, no matter what purification goes on, no matter if we get the Torah. We see time and time again, no matter what spiritual experience people go through, that their free choice is never taken away. And so that's why we see that, as you say, Noah had his moments. Um, Noah's sons had their moments as well. But the ability to use the earth as a conduit for godliness changed because of the flood. So, I guess, like, the hardest thing for me personally, I don't know if anyone else feels this way to grapple with, not just, like, within this story, but just, like, when really, like, bad things happen on our earth and everything is created by God and he created the world from nothingness, like, that concept. I guess, like, my, and I don't, like, expect you to be able to answer, well, maybe you can, but, like, why would God, like, allow these, like, plants and animals and people to become so corrupt, allow so much corruption? I mean, I know mm-hmm. that, like, each person has free will and God created us to have free will. But I guess it's just hard to understand how a world could turn into something so awful when it was created, it was created by, by God, God and then to, like, destroy everything, you know? That's a really good question. And I guess it comes back also to a bit of a deeper question, which is, which is the, the deeper question we are discussing in the Mimer, which is why does, why does God make life so hard, right? Mm-hmm. If, if God's the one who's in control of everything, why doesn't he just make it smooth sailing, right? Yeah. So we would never need a flood in the first place, right? Um, and that really, what you're asking is the question of the Mimer, but just like the yeah. underlying question. Why, okay, so we needed a flood, it purified. Why do we need purification in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why, just not, why just never sin? Why just never deal with the temptations and the physicality around you? And then you don't have to go through purification, and then you're just all good from the, from the get-go. Would you, would you say yeah. that that's a similar yeah. question? So I'll answer you by saying that, we're, that that's literally what this mime is addressing. We're going to okay. get to that, okay? okay? For me to sell you an answer right now would be a spoiler alert. I think it's also just okay. such like a like, hard to answer question, no yeah. matter how much... For sure. For, like, also, just the question of why do bad things happen to yeah. good people and all that. That's I know I'm not coming like here to give questions like. In Jesus yeah, yeah. I don't expect you to be able to answer in five I, minutes. I took a class in high school and that was literally like it was called like God Talks. It was literally like all those like major questions of like why do bad things happen to good people and like you know if we have free will like why is there so much corruption? All those like hard yeah. answers and like looking at different texts and trying mm-hmm. to like 
find answers or like find ones that like resonate with you. Mm. Well, yeah. there's a quote from the Torah that says that, uh, not from the Torah, from one of the from one of the sages that says, "If we would know God, we would be God." Right? To truly know God, you have to be God. So we don't know the answers, the true ultimate answers to these questions because we don't truly know exactly what God knows because we don't want to because we don't want a God that we fully understand because that's a kind of, that's kind of a letdown, right? We want a God that's way beyond us that we can serve. Um, so, so, the, so the answer is in order to truly know God and all of his designs and his plans, we have to be him and we're not. Um, but we, we try. We try. So we try to understand. And so we have five more minutes. So we can even start getting into that. We're on page nine, right? So once we've established, we'll finish establishing inside the idea of the flood, we're going to literally be getting to that question, which is why, we, as we, we said that the flood refers in our practical personal lives to the day-to-day -day challenges of survival. And so maybe once we can understand that the flood was there to purify the world, we can understand that the challenge of the, are, are there to purify ourselves, but then we do still have to come back to that question of why go through that purification? Why not just start off good and remain that way? So we'll get to that. Let's finish off with this idea of the flood and the purpose of water specifically. And then tomorrow, oh, tomorrow you have a class, but then on Wednesday we're going to continue into this idea, okay? So page nine on the top. Because the earth had become so corrupted, which we just finished reading in the previous verse, the earth was, it was necessary that the entire earth become purified. And this is specifically the reason for the flood. That the flood is this element of water. And as we spoke about, and as you're going to really speak about when you go to the mikvah, hopefully, ask some questions. Water is the element that God designated for, for purification. In order to purify those who are impure. Right? When we speak about the purification element of water, we think about the example of a mikvah. A mikvah means a ritual bath. And a mikvah, in order for it to be a kosher mikvah, has to be a minimum of mem se'ah. And it brings here a se'ah, see the footnote at the bottom, is a volume measurement corresponding to around 2.2 gallons. And 40 se'ah is around 90 gallons. I don't know gallons. I'm from South Africa. So what if you, you A got, lot of water. A lot of water. Okay, I don't know how much a gallon. Like, gallons, what? Like this? How it's many like, liters is a gallon? Like, 1.8. 1.8? It's okay. like a gallon, it's like the big, big chug, jugs of milk at the grocery store in the U.S. I wouldn't know about that either. But I think I've seen before a gallon of water you can buy, like those big, like, like it's yeah. like this big, right? Yeah, like like that. I'd say like you yeah. could fit a gallon into like, you know, like those two liter things of like soda. Yeah. You could like fit okay. it in and maybe have like a little bit of room at the top. Okay. That's like the It's a lot of water. It's, it's a lot of water. And we, need, and we need times 40 of that for it to be a kosher mikvah. So we see mem se'ah. There needs to be 40 gallons, 40 se'ah, sorry, 90 gallons of water. Shehima tatameh. And when that, those two things are in place, for a woman there needs to be more things in place. But when those two things are in place, we have a mikvah. Okay? 40 se'ah of water gathered together in one place. K'moken, so too we see, just as with the idea of a mikvah, haya hamabel, the mabel, the flood came, ba came, in order to purify the entire earth. As is written in Yechezkel, Ezekiel, the Zarakti, Alechem, and I have 
thrown upon you Mayim Tahorim, pure waters, or Tahartim, and you have become purified. Velizot Nikraim, and this is why we call the flood May Noach, the waters of Noah, the waters of rest. Shenasem is there because as a result of this flood, Naicha Darucha, a peaceful spirit descended onto the earth and into the world. The world was again able to be used for its purpose, which was to be used as a tool to serve God. So on Wednesday, we're going to continue with this idea into the corresponding element of the fact that these waters, these many waters, these Mayim Rabim, refer to the challenges that we go through in our own life. So what purpose do those challenges have in our own life? And and why do we actually need to go through them? Yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm writing things down like correctly. The sure. purpose of the flood was because to like create the world to like like have tools to make like God like have connections to God available to us. That like it was to purify the earth yeah. in a way that now the earth's status was one of neutrality, and okay. so if people use their free choice to serve God, they can use the world around them for that. Okay. 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 Like a really widespread mikvah. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what it was. It was like a massive universal mikvah process. Except the water was boiling and it killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. There's that too. So, so we will. Is the mikvah cold huh? or like warm? Well, you're not gonna go. Um, it depends. So. But the one woman goes to the mikvah, it's warm. No, it's warm. So yeah. Unless oh, this is the gallon of milk I was talking about. It's a lot of milk. You need a big family to drink that. Well, like that. Well, it's yeah. when you have like. That would go over my mouth. Well, you. Well, like we would get it as soon as it's okay because like my mom would just like for cooking. Like if you're cooking with milk, you just like just chug it. Like you know how you like just pour in your measuring cup and stuff. Now when my mom gets milk, she gets like the smaller ones. But yeah, like. Yes, but her face is not coming up in my mind. Sorry, it's Sarah Biston. Yeah, like I know her name from Parkland, Florida. I've heard of. It's possible that I've heard of her from other people. Like at least that's what I. So I was in touch with her at one point for something. I don't know her personally though, because I recognize her. 